Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Long Island, Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez, because it's going down this Saturday night live at the UBS Arena. And I said this Saturday night. It's actually this Saturday afternoon. So scratch that. Going to have to wake up early, grab some coffee. I'm actually going to miss the few for, uh, the first few fights. Going to be at jiu-jitsu, but definitely going to be there in time for the main card. And, man, what an incredible, unbelievable main event. I mean, you got the number three ranked, Yair Rodriguez, taking on the number two ranked, Brian Ortega. Two of the top featherweights on planet Earth. Brian Ortega wants that third title shot. And Yair Rodriguez wants that elusive first UFC title shot. So a lot to talk about with this main event, some other good fights on the card. But honestly, I mean, if we wanted to, we could spend this whole show just talking about this main event. Because, I mean, this is... This is a serious fight. This is one of those fights where it's like appointment television. If your buddies hit you up and they ask you, all right, just tell me one fight to watch on the card. I mean, it's got to be the main event this weekend because this is one of those fights. You guys already know what time it is. No words need to be said. You guys, what's understood is understood. So Brian Ortega, he's 15 and two. And normally, I'd say representing Mexico, but in this case, he's representing the U.S. because Yair Rodriguez is representing Mexico. Taking on Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, who's 13-3. and three. Currently, they got it. Brian Ortega, minus 180. The comeback on Yair Rodriguez is plus 155. So, man, what an unbelievable fight. So much to talk about, so much to discuss. Let's get right down to business. So, Brian T-City Ortega. So, for those that don't know, the T in T-City stands for Triangle City because this guy's known for his triangle finishes. And it's funny because when he fought Mike Delatore, he actually popped for steroids. And a lot of us were making the joke that T-City stands for Testosterone City, but it actually stands for Triangle City. And Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, what a dynamic guy. But just to circle back to Ortega, because I know if you heard that, he wouldn't appreciate that. Look, the guy made a young mistake, and he's bounced back ever since. And a lot of times when someone pops, the question is, like, are they going to be the same? But I think it's different when someone's, you know, in their late 30s popping, and then they won't come back the same. Whereas this guy made a young mistake when he was in his early 20s. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, not that mistake, but other mistakes, and you bounce back. So he has bounced back. I mean, look at what he's done. Made it all the way to two title shots in the UFC. And it's pretty amazing how I don't want to call him one dimensional because, I mean, when we talk about the one dimension he's great at, I mean, this guy's been a jujitsu black belt for as long as he's been in the UFC. And when he gets a hold of someone's neck, I mean, chances are the fight's going to be over shortly after, whether it's the guillotine, whether it's the triangle. I mean, you guys remember back to that Tiago Tavares fight when he full mounted Tiago Tavares and he pounded him out. And then you've also seen him go out there and knock people out on the feet. I mean, the way he launched Frankie Edgar, the Korean zombie fight dropped him with a spin. So I don't think it's fair to say this guy is one dimensional, but I think it is fair to say that there's one area that you need to be far more worried about than, than the other. I mean, who was it that said that thing about the ground being lava? I don't even remember, but basically in this fight that applies here, the ground is lava for Yair Rodriguez. And it's not because Yair Rodriguez isn't out here training his wrestling, isn't out here training his jujitsu. It's just because, you know, Brian Ortega has been a black belt since I think Yair was a blue belt. So there's certain things that you don't want to see Yair Rodriguez do. And if you go back to his last fight against Max Holloway, he was out here 
throwing his signature flashy kicks, and he actually ended up on the ground three times on his own in that first round just by the merit of throwing those flying kicks. So if he comes out here wild and reckless, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to definitely give Ortega the chance there. But the thing about that is he doesn't necessarily have to come out there with that same game plan. I mean, Max Holloway, that was a striker versus striker type fight. Whereas here there's a clear threat from Ortega on the mat. So Yair needs to keep it more meat and potatoes. He needs to keep it more basic. And I think that's what he's going to do. I know that's his plan. It's just, is he able to actually do that? It's one thing to think you're going to do something. It's another thing to actually go in there and do it. Because, you know, when the lights are on, the adrenaline's pumping, maybe he maybe he lands a big body kick, and then he wants to throw a 360 spin kick. Maybe then he wants to jump off the cage and do some crazy shit. And one of those mistakes, ending up on the ground, is all it can take against a guy like Brian Ortega, who's as opportunistic as he is, who's as dangerous as he is. And I mean, a guy like Ortega, you look at that fight against Volkanovski and I mean, yeah, he was getting his butt whooped that entire fight. And then in that third round, one little mistake from Volkanovski and that fight could have been over shortly after had that been anyone else. And you've seen instances, whereas like, for example, the Ortega versus Moicano fight, you know, I low key had Moicano up on the cards. I think officially it was one, one, but I kind of thought Moicano was winning that fight. And one sloppy shot is all it took for Ortega to, to snatch that neck. And he's got a knack for these third-round comeback finishes, man. I mean, the Volkanovski fight, obviously, he didn't get the finish, but he was, you know, let's just say that if you had a Volkanovski ticket, you were definitely uh, clenching those cheeks in that third round. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the, let's see, the Moicano fight, like I mentioned, even the Clay Guida and the Diego Brandao fights back in the day, I was at the Clay Guida fight at UFC 199 the night that Bisbing knocked out Rockhold. There were a lot of fucking awesome fights that night. So I think also officially it was one-to-one, -one, but low-key, everybody in the crowd kind of thought Clay Guida was up 2 nothing, And it was basically a point where it was like put up or shut up in that third round. And boy, did Brian Ortega put up, man. I mean, devastating need to knock out Clay Guida. That Diego Brandao fight, I think it was another case where it was like 2 nothing. Diego Brandao going into the third. And he hits him with like a like a darts to a triangle. It's been a while since I've seen that fight, but I, I think that's what the sequence uh, was that finished him. So this guy is dangerous at all points in the fight, and that's what makes this so intriguing because Yair Rodriguez, like we said, we, he's got to keep it simple here. It's just, can he keep it simple for 25 minutes? Possibly get a finish, but the thing is, we don't want to... It's hard to handicap a guy with the chin of Ortega getting knocked out, right? It could happen. I mean, no one's invincible you know, a shin to chin like Yair is capable of landing could knock out anybody. But let's say it does go, you know, let's say uh, Ortega doesn't get finished. Then it's one of those things where it's, it's about not making those mistakes. And I'm not counting out Ortega on the feet, but, you know, obviously anyone can land a bomb and Ortega does have some, you know, pretty heavy hands. It's just the issue I've had with Ortega for most of his career is that striking defense. Um, he's very reliant on his chin and for good reason i mean his chin's amazing you saw the max holloway fight you saw the volkanovsky fight the guy can take a beating no doubt about it it's just some of these shots from yair like how many shin to chins can you eat right before it starts to diminish you so yeah there, there's 
there's a lot of different ways this fight can go. It's a very high variance fight. It's one of those fights where they fight 10 times. You're going to see a different outcome every 10, every single time. So for that reason, I kind of view it as a dog or pass situation. I mean, I understand people taking the Ortega sub prop. I mean, I, I get that, but I don't think that's his only path to victory. I mean, I think that the guy has got pretty heavy hands and, you know, or he can get on top of Yair and possibly pound him out like he did Tiago Tavares. And the one time that Yair did lose a fight, well, actually, the first time he lost a fight inside the octagon, not the only time, to Frankie Edgar. I actually bet him in that fight back in, like, 2017. You know, he got taken down. He kind of got pounded out a little bit, got his eyes shut. Um, now, if they ever ran it back, you know, I got Yair over 40-year-old Frankie Edgar. Shout out to the legend Frankie Edgar. What a, what a G. But if they ran it back, I got Yair. But just saying, like, I understand why people take the Ortega by sub prop, but I think there are other pa other paths to victory for Ortega here. Whereas with Yair, it's basically you know he's got to keep it standing and you know he's got to keep it basic. I mean, he's got to minimize the times that he jumps in the air. He's got to minimize the times that he jumps off the cage, that he spins, that he does this, that he does that. Because one little spot where he ends up on the mat, I mean, he's got to basically like wait till there's like 10 seconds left in the round to like do some crazy ass kick. Unless he's got Ortega so badly compromised that he just says fuck it and takes that risk. So, yeah, this is one of those where you really just don't know what's going to happen. So that makes it a dog or pass situation in my eyes. Like, I mean, I get again why people are taking Ortega by sub, but I can't say he subs him, you know all of the time that they fight it's 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 about to be it's a different outcome every single time with with guys like this so it comes down to the approach of yair in my opinion because we know the approach of ortega you know he wants to just be tough be durable you know eat some shots and create an opening to finish the fight that's basically it man i mean he's going to be swinging for sure uh, but I, I don't see the chances of him catching yair on the feet that high even though ortega does have some heavy hands it's more so about him capitalizing on a mistake of Yair. Is that going to happen or not? That, that, that's like the big question in this fight. It could or it could not. So let's see how disciplined Yair is able to stay in this fight. That really is going to tell me everything. Uh, let's look at some numbers here. Has Ortega ever been knocked down in a fight? No, he has not. And interestingly enough, he's actually been hitting some more takedowns his last few fights. He hit two takedowns against the current champ, Volkanovski. Hit three takedowns against Chan Sung Chung hit two takedowns against uh, Max Holloway, whereas before that, he had only hit one takedown his entire UFC career, which was his debut against Mike De La Torre, which we, 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 we talked about earlier, right? So there's that way of looking at it. And then with Yair Rodriguez, you know, he has been taken down a good bit in his UFC career. I personally think he's better on the mat than a lot of people like to, uh, you know, like, like to kind of paint him. Like, people like to make it seem like, this guy hits the mat one time and he's not getting back up. And I understand why, because, you know, his first loss in the UFC against Frankie Edgar, that's kind of how things went down. But you got to understand that was 2017. You know, the kid was on a big win streak. He, his ego was massive. You know, he, he was doing the whole bit. You know, they thought he was the next big star, but no one's exempt from that first L. You guys know the deal, unless your name is John Jones or Habib. But if John Jones or Habib stick around long enough, they take their first L's, too. So that, that's just how this game goes. So I think Yair is going to be lighting up Ortega on the feet. It's just about, is he going to get a finish? I don't know. Ortega is really fucking tough to finish, man. Ortega is one of the most durable guys. But at some point, that chin does. At some point, that chin will go. It's just, am I predicting it to be this weekend? I really don't know. I mean, it's just tough. It's tough to predict something you've never seen happen right before. Uh, you've never seen happen before. 
But at the same time, I had never seen wasn't that like Andre Feely's first knockout loss back when that happened? And there's been a lot of firsts, man. I mean, he was also the first man to knock down and knock out BJ Penn. There was back when BJ Penn was the man, the saying was always, you know, never been knocked down, never been knocked out until he was knocked out and knocked out. Right. And that happened for the first time against Yair Rodriguez. Now I get it. That was a washed up BJ Penn. And I'm not calling Ortega washed up by any means. He's the number two guy on planet Earth. But the, the reason I brought up BJ Penn was just to say that we've seen Yair drop people that have never been dropped before. So possibly could happen. Just, I'm not discounting the possibility, but most likely I think if Yair wins, it's that decision. It's uh, But I like the money line on Yair. I'm probably going to bet him at plus 155. I mean, I'm patient. Let's see if it. Uh, let's see if the line gets better or not. And I'm aware of the dangers here. Who said that line about the the floor is lava? Y'all let me know. I, I, I'd like to give them credit. I, I don't even remember who said that. But whoever said that, that's right here. The floor is lava. You have to be so careful. Like the only times I want to see Yair on the floor here is like with 10 seconds left in the round. Then, then do your fucking crazy ass kick. But besides that, I need it to be meat and potatoes against Ortega. Chop him down with the calf kicks. Throw some straight punches, some body kicks. But you got you to gotta pull that kick back fast because you don't want it to get caught and you don't want to uh, get taken down. So, yeah, I'm going to go Yair Rodriguez to defeat Brian Ortega and get the upset and cash as an underdog. But again, you know, like I like I've been saying, you know, people that took the Ortega by sub prop, I understand why. I understand why. Like Ortega will literally be losing these fights and then just pull something off. And you can't call it flukes because he's done it how many fucking times? Like, like if it was a one-time thing, then okay, then you can call it a fluke. But when he did it to Diego Brandao, he did it to Clay Guida, he did it to Hanato Moicano. That's three fights in a row that he did it. Almost did it to Volkanovsky, like the guys just got a knack for that comeback. And it's one thing when you're a lower ranked fighter, that's got a knack for the comeback. But when you're doing it to the top guys on planet earth and you're ranked number two in the world, you're giving the champion Volkanovsky issues. Like now he wasn't giving him issues throughout the fight, just in that one moment. But that one moment is all it takes for a guy like Ortega to finish a fight. So that's why. Yeah. You has got to be fucking super careful here and props to Volkanovsky for that, that submission defense. I mean, it, his composure. Um, I, I was rolling with a brown belt earlier and he was basically telling me no hooks, no choke. And I felt that cause like when, uh, when Ortega had that guillotine on Volkanovsky, the first thing Volkanovsky was doing, it seemed to me like he was trying to get his, uh, his hips out. He's trying to get his feet out. Cause Ortega had a mount and, but he had his feet kind of crossed like BJ Penn used to do when BJ Penn used to get on top of guys. It kind of be like, uh, a guard from the mount like you cross your legs when you're on top of the guy in mount and the first thing volkanovsky did was try to get his feet out of there and then he started fighting the hands which was interesting um and he was flat on his back like he wasn't panicking like volkanovsky's a g man like to survive something like that and then right after that after you've already used up a lot of energy to escape that guillotine a triangle choke like came right after it and what's crazy about ortega is ortega was getting pounded on and he was still able to lock in a triangle. Now, props to Volkanovski for surviving. Can someone else survive? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not so sure. So, Yair's got to really pick his weapons in this fight, man. Like in all areas. Like you can have this guy hurt and dead to rights, and he can still submit you. So, but I think Yair is capable of being disciplined. It's just you know you can't get carried away like you did against Jeremy Stevens. Um, you know you can't throw you know 360 spin kicks. Uh, 
multiple times in the first round like he did against Max Holloway. But I think he knows that. You, if you guys heard his interview, um, he said, I just need to keep it basic here. And I think he's capable of doing that. So hopefully he does it because I'm going to most likely take the underdog shot on uh, Yair here. And let's see what happens. Um, you know, a lot of people I've been seeing people say that, oh, Yair or Ortega needs to focus on his wrestling and this and that. And it, acting as if Ortega doesn't know, you know, takedowns and this and that. I think that's bullshit. I think if you actually hear Ortega talk about his philosophy, he says that attempting takedowns is very tiring. And it is. Anyone that's grappled before knows that. I mean, unless you're, you know, a long time wrestler, even then it's, it's tiring. But those guys just are built different. But when you're a jujitsu guy, I mean, he said that basically he likes to bang and create that opening, whether it's you shooting on him, you know, and him snatching the neck or whatever the case may be. So Ortega's as opportunistic as it gets. And he might go for a takedown or two, maybe. And, and if he gets one and passes the mount, the fight could be over shortly after. He takes the back, could be over right away. But I don't think his wrestling obviously is as good as his, as his jujitsu. But the reason is not because he's not out here drilling his takedowns. It's because his approach, like like he said in that interview, man, he likes the bang. Going for takedowns is very tiring. He doesn't want to be, you know, out here huffing and puffing because he's already susceptible to getting hit on the feet. You guys see how his defense is. He eats a lot of shots. Doesn't have the best reactions either when he gets hit. For some reason, hasn't been wobbled or dropped yet, which is crazy. But kind of reminds me, like, if you guys watched Gilbert Burns early in his career before he started knocking people out, like, he was kind of a defensive liability on the feet, too. Like, that was one of the things that was my criticism for Burns back in the day. Not anymore, because he's definitely tightened some things up. But back in the day, he just used to get pieced up standing and uh, would just blast double someone or they shoot on him or whatever the case may be. He's always had heavy hands, too. But his defense has gotten a bit better. Not, you know, it's obviously... You know, we're, we're not talking uh, Volkanovsky-level defense or anything like that. But uh, compared to what it was, it's gotten better. So let's see what Ortega can do here. But I'm going to go with Yair. Keep it basic. Chop him down with calf kicks. Throw straight punches. Don't take any stupid, unnecessary risks. And possibly come out here and win this decision. So we'll see. It's going to be sketchy. There's going to be some sweats. And there's always the chance that he can be winning the fight. And one mistake is all it takes for Ortega to finish. But I'm going to go, yeah, year via decision. So y'all do me a favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. We'll talk about this next fight in a sec. Let me see what y'all are saying. All right, my boy Michael's on point. He said, already hit the like button. Let's get to the breakdowns. Hey, you know, Michael understands the assignment here. My boy DFS Whisper said, what up, Dan? Looking forward to this main event. So am I, man. I didn't know you were from Georgia, man. That's what's up. Uh, let's see. Michael also said Ortega arguably has fought Holloway and Volk in the peak of their powers. I think he meant the peak of their careers. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. They were both champ when he fought them, so I can't, I can't argue with that. And uh, Andy G said these guys will put on a war Mexican style. I, I look forward to that. I could definitely see it being fight of the night. The Burns said Ortega is the big nog of MMA. I know what you're saying, dude, because like back in the Pride days, dudes would just pound on him and then he'd pull off the sub out of nowhere. Shit was crazy. Um, let's see what else y'all got for me. All right. I think, I think that's about it. There was one comment I, I saw earlier, but I don't see it anymore. Hold up a sec. 
Okay. Someone said something about Ronnie Lawrence, but but he, but he didn't say nothing about that that five unit risk on on Rafael Fiziev though. Some of y'all are selective with that shit. Anyways, let's talk about this co-main event. So, next up in the strawweight division, co-main event of the evening, we got Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson. She's eighteen and nine, taking on Brazil's Amanda Lemos, who is eleven and two. Currently, they got it. Amanda Lemos just depends where you look. Everywhere from minus 300 to minus 350. The comeback on Michelle Watterson is everywhere from plus 250 to plus 275. So I guess the big talk about this fight is the line, right? You know, is the line too wide, this and that? I mean, I'm personally not going to lay it. <laughs> you know, I guess I'd consider it a dog or pass situation. I just don't really think the dog's going to win. Um, You know, I got questions about Michelle Watterson. Is she still into this shit? Not to mention... A lot of the fighters that have been training at Jackson Wink, it's not just some recent thing, but it's been going on for a long time. They just ain't been getting the results they used to get. Now, someone let me know. She might be training somewhere else, right? Like, where is uh, Michelle Watterson training? Is she still at Jackson Wink, the camp that hasn't evolved, like the camp where, like, all their best fighters have left them, minus Holly Holm, and, you know, she's out here crying robbery. And if you didn't bet on Holly Holm, then you can acknowledge how that wasn't a robbery, unless you bet on her and you're not biased. Um, I mean, it was a close fight that could have gone either way, you know? Um, so I, I basically, I love Michelle Watterson. She's exciting. Um, she's got a great personality. She's good for the sport. She's got a good head and arm throw, a sidekick. She's very easy on the eyes. I'm a fan. I just haven't seen much evolution in her game, period, point blank. There's things to be worried about if you're on Lamos here at a price like that. I mean, Michelle Watterson from from time to time has been opportunistic on the mat you saw her take joanna's back um you've seen her she's tough man i mean that angela hill fight wasn't going her way at first and you saw her pull it out in you know the in the deep waters so that was cool to see so i mean with lamos what she brings to the table technically speaking it ain't the best but the thing is one thing we've been talking about with the strawweight division and a lot of these women's divisions is that power can overcome technique a lot of the time, you know, athleticism and strength can overcome, you know, proper technique a lot because um, these girls aren't always used to someone hitting with the kind of firepower that someone like Amanda Lemos has. So that's what Michelle Watterson's got to look out for. I mean, I think if they go technique for technique, Michelle Watterson would win. But it's just if they're going force for force, I see Amanda Lemos landing with a lot more force. And then there's the questions about Lemos's cardio. I mean... Yeah, she lost that third round against Angela Hill, I believe it was. Was it the second or the third round? One of those. So, I mean, when you're that explosive, when everything you throw is with 100%, it's just natural that you're going to slow down. Um, so, yeah, definitely I would favor Michelle Watterson if this hit, you know, the late second round, the third round, stuff like that. But I think that Amanda Lamos can have an impact early, and that impact early might be enough to get a finish, or it might be enough to sway the judges to her favor if this fight goes all three. So I'll lean with Amanda Lamos, but you know I'm not crazy about laying a price like that on her. And also, there's a lot of there's a lot of sketchiness if it hits the mat. Um, I'm not saying that Amanda Lamos was some white belt or anything like that, but I am saying that we've seen Michelle Watterson hit that judo throw in a lot of fights. We've seen her take the back of elite fighters, Joanna and Jacek. We've seen her choke some people out. So we've seen an arm bar here and there. So that's what you got to be worried about if you're on the Lamos side. 
or Lamos badly fatiguing, and then maybe Watterson can have some success striking down the stretch. But I'll go with Lamos to, you know, just do the do the Jessica Andrade, do the, you know, who are some of these other powerhouses that be people that have better technique just because they're they're more physical, they're more impactful with their shots. It, it's got to be one of those cases um, if Lamos is to win this fight. So I'm gonna go with Lamos here. Featured bout in the welterweight division, we got Li Jing Liang. He's 18 and 7, representing China, taking on Muslim Salikov, who's 18 and 2, representing Russia. But this is actually a big fight in China because back in the day, Muslim Salikov, when he was doing his Wushu Sanda, um, a lot of those fights were back in China. So, like, he's like a star in China. And then obviously, Li Jing Liang is the most famous Chinese fighter, Chinese male fighter in UFC history. Um, at one point he was the most famous Chinese fighter in UFC history, but then, you know, Wiley Zhang came along and, and won the belt. But as far as male fighters are concerned, Li Jing Liang, he's the king of China when it comes to male MMA. And I mean, how can, as a fan, how can you not love Li Jing Liang? But before I say that, let me say what the odds are. Currently they got it. Muslim Salikov minus 160. The comeback on Li Jing Liang is plus 145. So how can you not love Li Jing Liang. My boy Dominic said Song Yudong. Yes, yeah, Song Yudong is a stud too. And I actually see Song Yudong going farther than Li Jing Liang, but I think um, Li's a bigger star just because he was like the first like Chinese male to really like put put them on the map, first to kind of hit the rankings. And he's had so many memorable knockouts, but I definitely see Song Yudong getting up there. And maybe one day Song Yudong can fight for a title. But anyways... How can you not love Li the Leech, Jing Liang, man? I mean, the guy is one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC today, and he's as dangerous as they come. Let's 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 pull up with these numbers real quick. I mean, this guy knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio, knocked out Eliza Zaleski, and didn't just knock him out, dropped him three times in that fight. And he's had so many wars in the UFC where, I mean, you know that you get cracked by a guy like like Li Jing Liang, chances are you ain't recovering. And that's what we got to be worried about here with Salikov. You know, I like Salikov a lot. I've made a lot of money on him. I think he's a very disciplined fighter. I think he's come a long way. I think he's been leveling up all aspects of his game. But he's getting up there. You know, he's getting up to, he's about to be 38 years old. And you could be technically better than Li Jing Liang, but you get cracked by a guy like Li Jing Liang. And Kind of like they say, you know, when you get hit in the face, a black belt becomes a brown belt and a brown belt becomes a purple belt, this and that. Well, when Li Jing Liang hits you in the face, the Wushu Sanda master becomes the Wushu Sanda apprentice, you know. So it's one of those things that Muslim Salikov has to play it safe, which he's pretty fucking good at. But on the flip side of things, I have to mention that Li Jing Liang's been dropped his fair share, too. Uh, for example... Got dropped against David Zawada. Got dropped twice against Jake Matthews. Got dropped against Bobby Nash. Got dropped against Keita Nakamura. So he's been knocked down his fair share of times, but his chin is unbelievable. The guy's able to recover. It's just you get dropped with a spin kick from a guy like Muslim Salikov, and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to recover. So I think this is another high-variance fight where it's like, Who's going to hurt who and who's going to be more impactful? Now, if this goes all three rounds, I do see Salikov kind of slowing down the pace a little bit, being on point with his counter shots. But the argument for Leach winning the decision is, you know, he could be getting outstruck and one knockdown 
he wins the round. One wobble, he wins the round. So with a heavy hitter like that, Salikov's got to be extra careful. But look, from a DraftKings perspective, obviously you would need a knockout from Salikov. But from a just betting perspective, you don't need a knockout from Salikov. You just need him to play it safe. Um, and that's completely fine. Like, I don't mind dudes slowing down the fight and, and fighting at a slower pace if that's what needs to be done to win the fight. Like, last week with Fazeev, I had five units on Fazeev, and I didn't need him to knock Dos Anjos out in the first round. I just needed him to, if we're going to go to deep waters, like, let's pace ourselves, and that's exactly what he did. So I need Salikov to pace himself here. You know, don't get into a brawl with Li Jing Liang. Like, Li Jing Liang can knock anybody out. And he's as durable as they come. But I think that if Salikov plays the safe circles on the outside and makes it a mostly counter-heavy approach that he can win this decision, possibly be the first man to knock him out. I mean, like I said, Jing Liang has been dropped a lot. And when a guy like Salikov drops you, chances are he's finishing the fight. But even if Salikov gets a knockdown and doesn't finish him, he's got to be able to play it smart and ride out that right out the rest of the round, get that decision. So I'm leaning Salikov here. It's just I know what we're up against. Uh, Li Jingliang is a very dangerous guy, and he's a very unpredictable guy. Like, right when you think you have this guy figured out, that's when he goes out there and knocks out Eliza Zaleski. Right when you think this guy, you have this guy figured out, that's when he gasses out 30 seconds into a fight with Neil Magny. Right when you think you have this guy figured out, that's when he knocks out Santiago Ponzinibbio in the first round. So it's just... Li Jingliang fights are tough to call, but I do lean. I do lean Muslim Salikov. Um, I think that again has to keep it disciplined. Has to be focused for all fifteen minutes here, because one mistake is all it takes for a guy like Li Jingliang to put your lights out. And maybe Jingliang can mix in a takedown or two. But I actually think that uh, Salikov has been getting better in all areas. I think his takedown defense has improved, and I also think his offensive takedown game has improved defensively and offensively man he's he's made a lot of strides in his wrestling and i like what i've been seeing so DraftKings perspective yeah you need that knockout from from salikov to cover but betting wise i just need him to play it safe slow down that pace counter 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 and come out here and win this decision possibly be the first man to knock out jing liang but that's gonna be tough that's gonna be tough this dude uh doesn't go down easily and when he does go down he gets back up He's a he's a true Chinese warrior, man. You gotta you gotta respect that guy. And I'm curious, like viewership wise, this has nothing to do with bets, but viewership wise, when they're watching this fight in China, like I'm curious if this is the fight that's gonna have the most attention. Um, not just because there's a Chinese fighter in Li Jingliang, but also because, like I said, Muslim Salikov was a star in in, in China too. So this is like two badasses over there. And someone could say, yeah, obviously this fight's going to have the most viewership because of Li Jingliang. You know, Sumadarji is also on this card. But the reason I'm bringing this one up in terms of that aspect is just Jingliang versus Salikov. It's not just Jingliang. It's Jingliang versus Salikov. This is a big deal over there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And also, I believe after Salikov's first win in the UFC, he called out uh, Jingliang. So it's cool to see them finally run it a few years later. So... Let's see. Let's see, let's see which way the price goes. This is one of those fights that's very dependent on who's going to hurt who, who's going to land the more impactful shots. But I think minutes will be won by Salikov. It's just again, you can't be you know, uh, you can't be jabbing him up. You can't be leg kicking him, and then you 
and then you get hit with that one shot and you start wobbling all over the place. You get hit with that one shot and you go down. There were some moments in that uh, Eliza Zaleski fight that got really sketchy. Um, but thankfully, it was in uh, in Abu Dhabi. And you know, no guy with the first name Muslim was going to lose a decision in, in Abu Dhabi. But you know, all, all jokes aside, man, I, I think that this is going to be a serious technical and tactical battle. And let's see who lands the more effective shots here. If y'all do me a favor, smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. I truly appreciate it. Now let's talk about this main card bout between Matt Schnell, who's 15 and 7, taking on Sumudarji, who is 16 and 4. Currently, they got it. Sumudarji minus 260. The comeback on Matt Schnell is plus 225. Very good flyweight fight. Sumudarji. Um, at one point we were calling him Chinese Connor. You know, he's kind of got that long stance, likes to snipe that straight down the pipe. And he's a very effective counter striker in the division. I, I enjoy watching him fight. It's been a while since the last time we saw him. So I'm sure he's been evolving because he's just a kid. Uh, let's pull up his age real quick. He's only 26. Um, so he's, you know, and the last time we saw him fight was in January 2021. So you give a kid 26 years old over a year and a half to to make improvements. Like I can't wait to see what kind of version of him we see out there. And with Matt Schnell, we know exactly what to expect. I mean, Matt Schnell is a very seasoned and experienced guy. Schnell has got the calf kicks. His boxing isn't half bad for MMA standards. Opportunistic guillotine. Even though he just got caught in a guillotine, he's got a nice guillotine himself. He, like, and, and he does that little uh, thing while he's striking. You know, he, he gives that side eye, which is fun to watch. But the thing with Schnell, the criticism has always been the same thing. The durability is kind of suspect. Um, I mean, I was in attendance when Hector Sandoval landed one-inch hammer fists on on him and knocked him out cold. So it's like, and then other times you see him go to war, no problem. So his durability is kind of tough to cap. Um, and then with Sumadarji, like how good is he truly? You know, that that's the big question here. I'm sure he's made improvements. Like he's always been a very talented guy. No, no, no questions asked. It's just, you know, that last time we saw him, he definitely won that fight fair and square. But, you know, I think one of the judges thought he lost a round to, uh, to Zaruka Dashev. So, you know, that just take note of that. Definitely won that fight, though. But I guess you would have expected, you know, a top prospect to come out there and sleep Zaruka Dashev in that first round. But this is a completely different matchup. And again, I expect him to sleep Schnell in the first round. But if that doesn't happen, then what's going to happen? Because back in the day, Sumadarji was getting tapped out left and right. So, has that area been patched up? I know he's been working on it for sure. But Schnell gets around the neck. Is Sumadarji going to be able to create space? Is he going to be able to fight the hands? Is he going to be able to survive that? That's a big question. So, I mean, I actually think Schnell's a better fighter than him. It's just that durability lets Schnell down a lot. Um, I don't know what it is, man. Like, the guy will be looking great in fights and then will just get slept. Like, even in his UFC debut against Rob Font, he was looking really good against Rob Font, and then boom, out of nowhere. The Hector Sandoval fight, he wasn't looking half bad, and then boom. And then, obviously, the I really enjoyed the triangle choke, the back-to-back -back triangle choke wins that Chanel had against Smolka and Espinosa. And, I mean, he went three rounds with Tyson Nam, who's a pretty damn heavy hitter, and he didn't get knocked out there. So it's like... It's tough to cap this guy's durability. Like, what happens if Sumadarji doesn't get him out of there? Does he cover that price tag? That, 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 that's my big question here. From what I can see, Sumadarji's a pretty damn talented guy. AY asked me, what is Sumadarji's ceiling? 
I, exactly. That, that's that, that's the big question. What is his ceiling? I don't know. Like, he's definitely talented. I'll tell you that much. He's definitely a lot of fun to watch. But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Like, what happens if the fights hit the mat? Because back in the day, when fights used to hit the mat with Sue, they'd be over shortly after. But, you know, he was just a kid back then. Should we write it off that, you know, he was only, he was 19 years old. He was 21 years old, whatever the case was. Now he's at Alpha Male in California working on his wrestling every day. Is he at Alpha Male? Or I thought he did some work at ATT in Florida too. But bottom line, at least he's out his comfort zone in the United States. I'm pretty sure he's in Florida now. I might be wrong about that, but someone let me know. Um, so it's tough to say what his ceiling is. I think this fight will let us know a lot, uh, especially if it goes three rounds. I mean, if he catches Snell early, that's still impressive for sure because the guys that have caught Schnell earlier, besides Hector Sandoval, have all been good. I mean, Alexandre Pantoja has two wins over former champion uh, Brandon Moreno. Rob Fon made it to the top five up a weight class at Bantamweight. So these guys that have been catching Schnell, for the most part, are pretty damn legit. So let's see. Let's see. And then also, back to what I was talking about earlier, you give a kid like this who's 26 years old, uh, Sumadarji, a year and a half to make improvements let, let's see what this new version of him looks like. He's still growing into, he's still becoming a grown man. So let's see. Valerie says Sumadarji had knee surgery. For a fighter who uses a lot of movement, I don't know how that will affect him. I mean, I, I appreciate you letting us know that he had knee surgery. That, that's good to know. I don't think that, you know, his mobility is going to be affected. If anything, I, I think it'll probably be improved. Like he probably just had to get something corrected. It's like when the fighters get a lot older and they've had multiple knee surgeries and then they come out wearing like two knee braces, that's when it's like, a cause for concern but for a kid that age he's pr he's probably going to be looking better that that's my assumption so look at the bottom line is i'm gonna go sumadarji i think that this is a prospect matchup where they are trying to test out sue see exactly where he's at i think it's a test he can pass but again Schnell's not a bad fighter at all it's just Schnell is kind of hit or miss skills wise Schnell's good it's just again You've seen one in Hammerfist knock him out. You've seen him beat up Brandon Royval and then dive headfirst into a guillotine. So whether it's the decision-making, whether it's the fight IQ, whatever the case may be, the durability, there's like Schnell can be considered hot and cold. But it's a good test. It's a good test for Sue. So let's see if he passes. I'm going I'm to say he passes. Now, next up, this is really exciting. In the on the main card in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Shane Burgos. He's fourteen and three, taking on Char Charles Jordan, who's thirteen four and one. It's not Charles; it's Charles because he's he's French Canadian. Currently, they got it. Shane Burgos just depends where you look. Minus one sixty five. The comeback on Charles Jordan is plus one forty five. I love this fight. Amazing fight. Um, if this was like in a year or two from now, then I would definitely take the dog odds on, on Jordan because I think that he's one of those kids. How old is he? He's just a kid too, right? Let's see how old he is. He was born in 1995. So that means that he is 26 as well. So he's also 26 years old. He's just a kid. So he's one of these guys that's going to be making these big leaps every single time. It's just that Burgos might be slightly ahead of him right now. If they make this fight in two years and you give me that price, I'm definitely taking Jordan. It's just, is he ready right now? That's the big question. And he might still be ready right now. It's just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because, like, Jordan is one of these guys that, like, you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time he fights. Only 26 years old. 
He's not even in his prime yet. He's at that point where he's still improving, improving, improving. Whereas Shane Burgos is a finished product. You know exactly what Shane Burgos brings to the table. One of the biggest featherweights on the roster. How this guy makes 145, I will never know. I mean, like his his discipline with his diet has to be so on point that like one little fuck up and this guy's going to miss weight. And the fact that this guy, Shane Burgos, has never missed weight in the UFC is pretty damn impressive. Obviously, his boxing for MMA, offensively speaking, is pretty on point. It's just defensively is where you got to draw the line. I mean, this guy's always fought with his hands down. This guy's always been overconfident in his chin. Um, and he's paid for it a few times recently. I mean, whether it's that Calvin Cater fight, even that fight, he bounced back after the Calvin Cater fight against Kurt Holobo. Now, if you just look at the record, it says that... Um, it says that he armbarred Hollibo in the first round, which is 100% factual. He did armbar Hollibo in the first round. But why was he in a position to armbar Hollibo in the first round? The reason why was because he got dropped in that first round, and then he was able to go out there and do it. The Cub-Swanson fight, I bet on Burgos in that fight. That fight was a little bit too close for my liking. But what I what I really do enjoy about Burgos is the way he's able to just like be tougher than these guys just kind of break you down the stretch like entertainment wise it's amazing to watch it's just when you're betting on him you know i i'd like my guy to keep his hands up and his chin down i'd like my guy not to be smiling every time he gets dropped but then again when you get dropped by a guy like josh emmett and you're smiling it just speaks to like what kind of confidence what kind of demeanor like what kind of individual what kind of psychopath we're dealing with shane burgos here i mean like the guy is a competitor through and through. And while he's conscious, he's going to be trying to win this fight from the second the bell rings to the second the fight's over. So that much we can agree on. It's just at what point is his style of fighting with those hands down, fighting every single person he fights in the pocket, eating shot after shot, at what point is that going to catch up with him? Now, I don't think that Charles Jordan has the, the hands to you know trade in the pocket with a guy like Burgos. However, the kicks are there. And, I mean, if, if we're just looking at, if we just take them both to a boxing coach, obviously Burgos is going to look better. But Charles Jordan does throw hard. I mean, he's dropped a lot of people with that left hand. I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped Burgos. It's just that, is he ready right now? I know he's going to be ready in like a year or two from now. It's just, is he ready right fucking now? That's the big question. And then with Burgos, in that Edson Barboza fight, Dude, firstly, it was an amazing fight, but that finish, I was like, God, that was like one of the scariest finishes I've ever seen. There's only been a few finishes where I've kind of like legit been like, yo, like, is this guy okay? One of them was the Eric Anders versus Tiago Santos fight where Eric kind of just like collapsed. Like I was legitimately like worried, like, is, is he okay? Um, There was the Anthony Hamilton versus Grabowski fight. Y'all probably don't remember that one, but look it up. It's like a 10 second knockout. Like, and dude doesn't wake up for like five minutes. That was scary. But then Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza, that delayed reaction was like uncomfortable. And I even said some bold things that, you know, I was wrong about saying that, you know, maybe he shouldn't fight again. But he went back that next fight against Billy Q and goddamn, I mean, definitely got a 30-27 there. I faded him on principle. Billy Q was plus 170. I took Billy Q in that fight. Um, and Shane Burgos showed that he's still he's still a level above certain people that aren't in the top 15. And I do think he's a level above Charles Jordan right now. So I'm going to pick Shane Burgos to win. It's just the concerns are 
The guy fights with his hands down, his chin up. He's overly confident in his ability to take damage. And he's been dropped multiple times. And at some point, you know, that's going to catch up. And a guy like Charles Jordan, who, you know, we've basically seen him since the beginning of his career, and he's growing right in front of our eyes. So every single time you see him, win, lose, or draw, you're going to be seeing a better version of this kid. So that that's the fun part about the Jordan side is that every time you're going to be seeing improvements. So win, lose, or draw here, I can't wait for Jordan's next fight because – Let's say he gets a vet lesson here against Burgos. Well, his next fight, he's going to come back even better. Let's say he gets the biggest win of his career against Burgos. Next fight, he's going to come back even better. So no matter what, the you know the graph is going up for a guy like Jordan. It's just, this is a tough test right now for him. Uh, it's tough. I really wish this was in a year or two from now, because then I would confidently take Jordan again. If, if this was in a year or two from now. You let Burgos take a little bit more damage. You let Jordan get a little more experience. Then I think you'll be ready. I mean, you might still catch him anyways, but I think right now Burgos is slightly ahead of him. And I think that pressure, that forward movement, that you know, that pocket boxing for MMA is going to be on point. It's just if you're laying the chalk on Burgos, you know what you got to be worried about. Guy fights with his hands down. Guy's overly confident in his chin. Guy lives in the pocket. I love it as a fan, as a betting man, you got to be concerned. So I will pick Shane Burgos to win this fight, but it would be cool to see Charles Jordan like come out here and, and get the biggest win of his career. I'm a big fan of Jordan. I really am. And I can't wait for his next fight after this. I'm really curious to see if he passes this test or not. This is going to let us know a lot, but regardless, he's only 26. He's just a kid. Imagine what this kid's going to be like when he's 29, when he's 30, when he's 31. I could see him cracking the rankings for sure by that time. So. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go Shane because of where he is currently. But, you know, you guys know the, the risks associated with betting Shane Burgos. So you guys understand what, you, what you're doing. Matthew asked me, is it the bigger cage this weekend? Yes, it is. We got confirmation they're fighting in the big cage this weekend. It's basically going to have like a pay-per-view type atmosphere. This is not your typical fight night. This is, I mean, a main event like this, I'd, I'd pay the price for it. Y'all do me a favor, smash that like button, hit that subscribe button, all 70 plus of you that are in here. I truly appreciate y'all being here with me. Now, uh, my boy, my boy, Billy Briz said uh, Burgos is 6-0 and in New York. So I I'm guessing uh, Shane is looking to continue that trend here, uh, obviously. Yeah, I mean, listen, if it's, if it's in the scorecards and Jordan doesn't make it clear, he's losing that decision, but. Jordan has a way of making things clear, so I'm very curious. I'm very curious to see what happens there. Um, one thing we can agree on is it's going to be one of the best fights of the night. That's that's understood. If not, one of the best performances of the night. I'd be shocked if some guy is, you know, humping the other guy's leg and the crowd's booing and this and that. Like, crowding and me booing in that fight. And also the Charles Jordan versus. Julian Arosa fight. I heard people saying that he quit and this and that. I don't think he quit. I think that choke was locked in and he just got caught and there was no escape. Like when that shit's fully locked in, it's either tap or nap. So I think, you know, it was one of those learning experiences. Like I really don't hold that against him because again, what was he, 25, 24 at the time? Like he's just a kid. Every single one of these fights is going to be a learning experience where he comes back better from. You guys rec you guys see the talent this kid has. You guys see how good he can be. And one day I think he will be that guy. It's just, is he that guy right now? That's the big question. So got to lean Burgos now, but I mean, I keep saying the same shit. 
the durability is a concern. His willingness to take damage is also a concern. At what point is it going to catch up to him? That's all I got to say. At what point? Is it Saturday night? Is it the next fight? We'll see. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this fight because I know it's going to be amazing. So, all right. Kicking off the main card. Man, imagine going from Shane Burgos and Charles Jordan to this. No offense to these ladies, but we got Lauren Murphy. She's 15 and 5, taking on Misha Tate, who's 19 and 8. Currently, they got it. Misha Tate minus 220. Comeback on Lauren Murphy's plus 180. I mean, I feel like people forgot that Misha Tate like retired like five, six years ago. And she came and now that she's back, you know, wants some wants some quick six-figure paychecks. Like, I don't think she's been looking impressive. I don't think that fight against Marion Renault was anything special. Marion Renault is 45 years old, guys. That's not me exaggerating or being funny. That's what it is. Next fight against Ketlin Vieira. Ketlin clearly won that fight. Misha's coming off a loss, talking about she beats Lauren Murphy, who's 38, and she's about to get a title shot against Valentina. Like, people see that Tyler Santos has success grappling against Valentina. Now, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> washed-up fighters are going to be having success against Valentina. Give me a fucking break. I really hope that if Misha wins this fight, the recency bias of the success Tyler Santos had rubs off into the line and I can max bet Valentina because Valentina would mop the floor with Misha Tate. Uh, and it wouldn't even be close. As far as this fight's concerned, I mean, I ain't going to lay no minus two-something on Misha Tate at this stage of, of her career. This is not the strike force days. This is not the early UFC days. And even back in those days, Misha Tate was known for taking a whooping and then coming back and pulling fights off. Like, what was that fight she had? Oh, yeah, against Julie Kedzie in strike force where she gets floored in that first round. She's getting dominated and then somehow pulls off the sub. And she's been known for taking damage and just being kind of tougher. Um, and then Lauren Murphy... Someone who started off her career one and three and then ended up making it all the way to a title shot. I've liked some of her recent performances, but I hear that she's been dealing with some health stuff. And that last fight against Valentina was a whooping. And, and oftentimes when fighters lose that title shot, they come back less motivated because, I mean, your biggest motivation is to be a world champion. You lose that opportunity and you lose it as emphatically as she did. I believe you're not going to come back as a as motivated as fresh and not to mention she's like 38 years old so no disrespect to either one of these ladies you know i appreciate what misha did for the sport back in the day and i also respect the fact that lauren murphy went from a one and three fighter to someone who ended up fighting for a title but i literally have no interest in watching this fight like you guys remember when holly holm fought ketlin vieira and the co-main event was santiago ponzinibbio versus michelle Pereira. and remember how on this show i addressed it as if michelle Pereira versus santiago was the main event like i didn't even watch the holly holm versus ketlin vieira fight like like certain things like you don't need to see and and someone can say oh you're not a true fight fan yeah shut your fucking mouth like i have i have zero desire to watch lauren murphy versus misha tate no disrespect to either of them again I respect what Misha Tate's accomplished back in the day, but we're dealing with a washed-up fighter who's coming back from retirement five years ago. I'm not interested. With Lauren Murphy, I really respect what she's done, man, from one and three to title shot, but like with the health issues and this and that, like coming off that serious whooping, like I just, I just don't care. So I'll say it's dog or pass at the betting window you know with a price like that i'll lean misha tate but 
<laughs> you know, the, my boy John just made me laugh. He said, Dan's voice got my wife pregnant, pregnant. <laughs> Dude. I don't know if I should say this, but you ever had someone hit you up like um and be like, uh you ever had a chick hit you up and be like, My husband wants to watch you uh do me <laughs> like nah dog so we, we can't be doing all that we can't be doing all that anyways um <laughs> random oh my god random malakas that's a funny question i wish your name was random marcos that i would have thought that was funny but he said will you watch it on your next tape studying session or do you value your time i value my time man like i'm not gonna be yeah let, let's uh let, let, let's move on um <laughs> yo what's up clint i appreciate you fam thanks for being here y'all smash that like button for me hit the subscribe button um and let's talk about this fight between puna and dalcha that's going to be a fucking great fight and maybe some other time we can do story time um with with with, with daniel <laughs> but uh next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between hawaii's puna Haley soriano he's eight and two taking on I, I gotta remember where from Africa my boy's from. Okay, Congo's Dalcha champion Lunjambula, who's eleven and four. Currently, they got it. Puna Haley minus two twenty five. The comeback on Dalcha is plus one ninety. So, yeah, yeah, Dominic, let these motherfuckers know what time it is, bro. Like fourteen likes and ninety viewers. Come on, man! Like y'all can talk all your shit in your Discord chats and your group chats on Twitter. Do that on your own time. But here, no one's gonna know you like the show. No one's gonna know you're watching. So do me that favor and smash that like button because it helps out the the algorithm they like to talk about and all that. And we're just trying to grow this show, grow this channel. It's just me and y'all. So let's fucking do it, man. Do me that favor, and uh, I promise I'll give you guys timestamps and all that shit. And yeah, I appreciate y'all. Anyways, I was talking about Puna and Dalcha. So, all right. Y'all remember how a couple weeks ago we had Brad Tavares fighting? And I like to call Brad Tavares Hawaiian Bisbing because, like, a lot of times when, you know, fights go to decision, uh, Brad Tavares, not always, not and not last time, Brad Tavares was really known. I mean, he's had a long career. He's been in the UFC since 2010. Was known for eking out those decisions. And it was kind of like point fighting it up. Whereas... <laughs> Yo, y'all, y'all are distracting me with these fucking funny ass questions. Um, whereas Puna Haley, is, I, I like to call him. If, if Brad Tavares is Hawaiian Bisbing, I like to call Puna Haley um, Hawaiian Vitor. Destructive from that southpaw stance. This guy's got that one hitter quitter power, and when he smells blood, he blitzes guys and he gets guys out of there, man. I mean, the way he did Dusko, and that was back before, you know, Dusko had taken a couple L's. That's back when Dusko was this undefeated guy brimming with confidence, and the way Puna Haley knocked him out, like, goddamn, this kid can crack. Um, and then he's also, was he, a D3 All-American, something like that? He's got, a, he's got a wrestling background. Even that last fight against Nick Maximov, like, okay, yeah, on paper he lost the fight, but, like, the fact that he was able to stuff all those takedowns, I thought that was pretty impressive. And then with Dasha Lunjambula, I'm a fan, man. I'm a fan. Look, I know that is not the prettiest. I know that, you know, technique-wise, you know, it might be this or it might look a certain way. But, like, I love watching this guy fight because he swings big bombs, man. And if you go back and you watch some of his fights um, in the South African scene, back when he was the double champ, 
pull up his fight against Alan Badeau. Like, I know y'all been seeing Alan Badeau in the UFC, like, win these first rounds and then kind of quit in the second round. But, like, the way Dalcha knocked him out in, like, the first exchange and just sent them, you know, crashing like a tree. Like, goddamn, like, Dalcha can crack, man. So, I see this being an exciting fight. Like, I, I lean Puna. Is let me let me let me see where these odds open. First of all, I'm very curious what Vegas was thinking. Oh shit, Vegas was saying minus two seventy five. So Vegas think Puna's a lock. I mean, I lean Puna, but like I can see this being a toe to toe brawl where either guy can get clipped. Both guys hit extremely hard. Um, and then Dolch's last fight against Brundage, I thought he was looking pretty damn good until he shot that that sloppy shot and got his neck snatched against. An opportunistic guy. And shout out to Brundage, man. Two back-to-back first-round finishes. I, I would have never called that. So he's proved me wrong um, with both those fights. So, yeah, uh, I'd say Puna is probably a, a bit more cleaner. Hey, real quick, anybody here in Vegas? Because was Okay, because I, I think Puna is at Extreme Couture, but didn't Dacha go to Extreme Couture for a little bit? So are, are these guys, like, familiar with each other? Like, are Dacha and Puna like former sparring partners by chance someone that knows about uh that knows about you know the vegas scene let me know if that's the case because that then i want to find out i want to get some inside info i want to find out what those sparring sessions were like between dolce and puna the burn said gore is on a permanent fade after the brunage fight i wouldn't say that i mean the guy's only four and two he's he's a baby in his career let him get to 10 pro fights let him get some seasoning and I think that that Gore can get better. It's just that when you get rushed into the UFC as a three and O fighter or whatever, three and one, four and one, whatever it was, like he was just too early. But the guy is a good athlete; just needs some season and needs some experience. That's why people go on the regional scene, you know, build up their records and then go to the UFC. But UFC thought this guy was talented. That's why they they you know signed him when they did. But you can't make up for seasoning. You can't make up for ring time. So I think Gore just needs some more experience, more seasoning. He'll come back better. I mean, the guy's very talented. It's just you, you got you to give him a chance. Burns said anyone who loses to Brundage is an auto fade. Yeah, that's so black and white to say. Brundage has had like three times the fights as Gore. Like like I said, let Gore get to 10 pro fights, and then we'll talk. Like, But right now, he's just too green and too young to be in the UFC. That's all it is. Give him some time. Give him some experience, and we'll see what happens down the line. A bunch of guys have have lost fights to guys that they would beat um, as their best self. Like, for example, Benil Dariush lost to Ramsey Ninja, my first-round knockout in his in his uh, second UFC fight. You mean to tell me if they ever ran it back, Benil wouldn't just mop the floor with him? Like, shit happens, man. This is fighting. Like, people got to pay their dues. It's just part of paying your dues. But back to this. Someone from Vegas that has some knowledge on the situation. Let me know how these sparring sessions between Puna Haley Soriano and Dacha Lungjambula went down. Cause I'm very curious, man. Cause I personally don't see Puna being this big of a favorite. Um, I mean, I see him being a slight favorite. I think he's a bit cleaner, a bit more well-rounded, this and that, whatever. But 
you know, you know, we like to talk about that African power makes up for a lot, but it's not just the African power, that Hawaiian power and that Hawaiian durability on the Puna side is also something. So I'm talking like it's a pick them, but it's not a pick them. I, I, I'm saying, you know, Puna minus 150, Puna minus 170, you know, something like that. But minus 225, minus 240, I'm not so sure. But let's see if he treats him like he's minus 225. Let's see if he treats him like he's minus 250, right? If he does, then, you know, but. As of right now, I see it being slightly closer, but someone let me know. Like, hey, y'all, my friends at Extreme Couture, I'm not going to leak no names, no nothing like that. But y'all slide in my DMs. Tell me how those sparring sessions between Puna and Dolce went. Like, was Puna just getting the best of him and y'all leaked that info to the odds maker? Or was Dolce having moments and y'all were feeding them some bullshit info to try to get a good line on Dolce? Like, I, I need to know exactly what the case is um, before I have a confident pick. But lean is puna but i need i need some answers about those sparring sessions before i sit down with any kind of confidence now before we talk about ricky simone versus jack shore y'all know the deal 90 plus of you in here smash smash the smash the like button hit the subscribe button i truly appreciate y'all um my boy michael said pass those dms along dan hey we'll, we'll see what happens i'm curious what the word is you know if if we'll we'll just see we'll just see what people say. Random Marco says <laughs> that's what just, that's what I'm gonna call you from now on. He said Puna got embarrassed in a kickboxing match versus Brendan Allen. Dacha is the side betting wise. Yeah, but Brendan Allen, you know, it was a lot more experienced than than Puna. You gotta understand that. Like I know that Brendan Allen is mostly known for his grappling abilities, but Brendan Allen's got like twice the experience of Puna. Again, guys, experience counts for a lot in this game. It it truly truly does. Um, but I understand what you're saying about the number on Dolce, um, for sure. I just don't really know what's going to happen in that fight. All right, now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Ricky Simone, who was 19-3, taking on Jack Tank Shore, who was 16-0. Currently, they got it. Jack Shore, minus 170. The comeback on Ricky Simone is plus 145. Now, this is a really, really good fight. This I can see being a close, competitive split decision, a tooth and nail, one-to-one -one going into that third round. Who's got the you know, that drive to, to go out there and, and push in that third round and get it done. <laughs> My boy Luke said, Dan is confirmed related to Canelo. Better listen and smash that like fellas. Hey, I appreciate you fam. Yeah. You know, we got some Mexican roots in here. That's funny. Um, when I grow my beard out, it's like orangey or whatever. So people are, and then people find out that I got Mexican roots. They're like, Oh shit. He's like Canelo. He's a white boy, but he's not a white boy, you know? <laughs> but, um, Anyways, about this uh, Jack Shore versus Ricky Simone fight, I mean, unbelievable. And, and it goes back to paying your dues, right? I'd say Ricky Simone has paid his dues, man. I mean, like, let's go back to his UFC debut against Marab Dewalish Wheelie. And I think people have a little bit of a blurred memory and a blurred opinion of what actually happened um, when, uh, when that fight took place. My boy Dominic said... Then, then they ask if you have a soul. You know that's that's funny. Um, but I'm not actually when I had hair, I wasn't uh, I wasn't ginger. I had brown hair. It's just for some reason my beard is like orange. But like my hair, I used to have long ass curly hair, and my hair was like dark brown. So I am not a ginger. But my beard is ginger. It, it, it's I, I have no idea how. It, I have no explanation. Um, God, if you're listening, maybe give me an explanation and I can relay it back to the fans. But y'all, back to this. Marab the Wallace with y'all see how my my ADD is. 
Back to Marab Dewalish Williams, Ricky Simone. So that debut for Ricky Simone, people have kind of a blurred memory of what happened in that fight, and they have kind of a biased perception. And I feel like people are so wrong when they talk about that Ricky Simone versus Marab fight. Reason being is this. People say it was this bullshit stoppage. People say it should have been this decision win for Marab, this and that. And it's like, go watch that fight right now and start it in round three. And pay close attention to what happens. Marab goes for a takedown on Ricky Simone, and he literally goes forehead to the mat and knocks himself out on a takedown attempt. I mean, we're talking about the guy who dove into an ice, who dove into ice water and knocked himself out on an Instagram video. Well, he did the same thing inside the UFC's octagon in the third round against Ricky Simone. Marab Dewalish, we listen to me. Y'all need to watch that third round because I know a lot of y'all are gonna be like, "What are you talking about, bro? This and that." Y'all need to watch that third round between Ricky Simone and Marab. Marab knocks himself out on a takedown attempt. His body goes completely limp. And from there, Ricky Simone snatches the neck, gets on top of him. And I thought he choked him unconscious. Um, That's the more controversial part. Was he unconscious? Was he not? Because he was doing that biking motion. But, I mean, I've seen dudes move around while they're unconscious, you know, (laughs) wobble all over the place like dead fish. So I think that's kind of what that was. But... There is no debate in my eyes that Marab knocked himself out on a takedown attempt. So I think that that was legit a third-round stoppage for Ricky Simone. That's my opinion. Um, Y'all need to go back and watch that. I thought he was unconscious, and that's the bottom line. Ricky won that fight. Then the next fight against Montel Jackson hit like seven, eight takedowns on Montel. You know, Montel, super talented guy, but, you know, Y'all, y'all saw Montel call me out on on, on Twitter because uh, I mentioned on the podcast that uh, I saw him, you know, popping bottles and posting pictures with guns and and then wondering why he wasn't out here finishing JP buys and this and that. I mean, the guy's so damn talented. Like, you'd love to see a guy like Montel take it all the way, but like he gets outworked because, yeah. Anyways, I can go on a tangent about that too. And speaking of Montel, who lost to Brett Johns, Brett Johns is kind of like Jack Shore's big bro. They kind of have a bit of a similar style. I'd say that Jack Shore's got a bit cleaner hands, got a bit more power in his hands. I mean, you saw that last fight against uh, Timor Valiev was actually out there, you know, dropping Valiev. Like, it was a close fight until the moments that Jack Shore was able to uh, to seal those rounds off by hurting a guy like Valiev and really did the thing. And it's nice to see what Jack Shore is turning into. Like, I know he's had a couple fights that, you know, I've been kind of, you know, the Hunter Azure fight, this and that, whatever. But, like, the way he put it together in that uh, Timor Valiev fight was very, very impressive. Only 27 years old, so not even in his prime yet. And another thing I got to mention about Jack Shore is his numbers are absolutely beautiful. Let me pull them up really quickly. So listen to this. Jack Shore lands over four strikes uh, per minute. Striking accuracy near 60%. Only gets hit two two and some change per minute. Striking defense, 60%. Takedown defense, 84%. Lands over four takedowns per 15 minutes. Like across the board, Jack Shore's got beautiful numbers. But this kid, Ricky Simone, someone who has paid his dues. I mean, this is a guy who has bounced back from defeat, and that counts for a lot. No one is exempt from that first L. Ricky Simone, a guy who got absolutely embarrassed by Uriah Faber. I had a big bet on Ricky Simone in that fight, thinking, yo, he's about to come out here, style on this 40-year-old. Nope, 
got finished in under a minute. Next fight against Rob Font gets jabbed up badly. But the way that this guy has bounced back, it seems like now he's starting to mature. Now he's starting to put it together. The Ray Borg fight was the start of that. I don't know how that fight was a split decision. That was crazy. The way he just absolutely outworked Brian Kelleher. Um, but then the Asunsao fight. I know Asunsao is getting up there in age, but y'all know Asunsao's got a win over pretty much everyone in the top 15. I mean, Asunsao beat Aljamain Sterling. Asunsao beat TJ Dillashaw. Asunsao beat Rob Font. Like Asunsao has beat literally Pedro Munoz. A every single person in the top 15 for the most part. Or at least the top 15 back then, right? Because the sport is rapidly evolving and stuff. But uh that's a good win on your resume. And usually when guys beat a Sun Tao, they'll they'll eke one out, right? Um, but Ricky was not really known for putting people out, you know, was kind of able to seal the deal on that. And definitely went out there and finished him. So I see this. Has Jack Shore paid his dues to be ready for this fight? That's the big question because I know Ricky has. I know Ricky has paid all the dues there is to pay, and Ricky is ready to enter his prime and be his final and finished product. Is Jack Shore there yet? What I've seen from Jack Shore, I absolutely love. And another thing I want to mention is that, so the, the area of concern I have would be more like Ricky Simone out hustling Jack Shore, right? Kind of just kind of getting vet gritty on him. 1-1 one, one going to the third round. Ricky's able to get that last takedown in that third round. Ricky's been in there with better competition, this and that. Like Ricky's paid his dues. So I see it being a dog or pass situation from that perspective. But one area of concern I do have, you know, people like to talk about the grappling in this fight, but I want to talk about the, the, the striking. Ricky definitely, offensively speaking, the striking is there. But defensively speaking, there's been some liabilities. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the Uriah Faber fight where he got starched in under a minute. Um, you go back to the fight against Anderson Dos Santos. He was dominating in that fight, and he just got floored and got choked out in that fight. Even the Ronnie Yaya fight, Ronnie Yaya dropped him and rocked him in that fight. Or I, I don't think he actually dropped him, but I think he um had him on uh, what Joe Rogan likes to refer to as Queer Street. Had had him doing the dance. You know what I mean? So. Jack Shore's hands have been getting tighter. Jack Shore's been putting it together. You saw Jack Shore that last fight. Um, uh, definitely hurting a Russian and sealing the fight that way. So that's how I see Jack Shore's edge in this fight being actually a little bit more power, a little bit more accuracy on the hands. But Ricky Simone's edge is just that that veteran savvy. He's paid his dues. He knows what defeat is like. He knows what it means to pick himself back up. And he just pushes a relentless pace. So I think at the betting window, it is a dog or pass situation. If this is truly that split decision 50-50 fight that I kind of view it as, but chances are that one guy might dominate. I just don't know who that one guy is going to be. I lean sure, but dog, dog or pass in my opinion, dog or pass, but we'll see. Damn, 100 something plus you, 110 plus you, y'all do me that favor. Smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. I truly, truly appreciate it. Now let's talk about this prelim between Bill Algio and Herbert Burns. So next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Bill Algio. He's 15 and 6, taking on Herbert Burns, who is 11 and 3. Currently, they got it. Bill Algio minus 200, y'all. The comeback on Herbert Burns is plus 170. So one thing I wanted to mention about this, Vegas was saying minus 120 Algio plus 100 Burns. Okay, so Vegas wasn't thinking no minus 200 uh, on Bill Algio in this spot. And another thing, 
if you look at all the lines for these Herbert Burns fights, minus 400 against Derek Minner, um, minus 275 against Evan Dunham, minus 290 against Daniel Pineda. Now, now he's like a plus 175 dog against Bill Algio. Interesting. Interesting. Because the thing about this guy, Herbert Burns, he's kind of like where his brother was at when his brother first came into the UFC. The striking defense isn't quite there. There's some questions about the gas tank, of course, but jujitsu wise i mean this guy takes your back this guy throws something up i mean chances are he's locking it in and one thing we got to mention about bill algio we have to mention this y'all y'all know how many times bill algio has been taken down right he gets taken down every single fight got taken down two times against joe anderson brito got taken down eight times against uh hikardo hamosh got taken out four times against spike carlisle got taken out five times against ricardo lamos got taken out three times against brendan brendan Lochnane. so like to me i think herbert burns is going to be able to take this guy down and get on top of him it's just what happens from there that's the big question because algio is a black belt too now there's black belts and then there's black belts i think if these guys put on the gi and we go to the adcc trials we go to abu dhabi you know whatever they want to do you know, Herbert Burns is tapping him out, but we don't got the gi on here, unfortunately. So it's one of these things where it's like, Algio is really good at like getting dominated and then gassing you out and then coming back and pointing you up. It's just like a thing he keeps on fucking doing, man. Like I bet on Joe Anderson Brito in that fight and it was looking good. It was 1-1 going in that third round. The start of the third round is looking really good. And then and then Joe Anderson Brito gives up his back and then it could, and then that was it. It just came back to one scramble in that fight. So I heard some rumors about Herbert Burns, you know, being sick and having a terrible weight cut and this and that um, for his fight against Pineda. So I heard, you know, now I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that that might have been why he has such an epic drop off in that fight and why things materialized the way they did. But I also want to say that that fight was in august 2020 so whatever issue he had back then this guy's had plenty of time to get his shit together and come back address those mistakes and hopefully you know come back better because i mean we're dealing with a guy who's got some legit ass wins on his resume i mean back in the day he beat that timofey guy the, the the dude that knocked out eddie alvarez he submitted him in the first round he went out there against Nate Landwehr, knocked him out in the first round. Like, it's not easy to, to go out there and finish a guy like Nate Landwehr. Like, Nate Landwehr took some shots that last fight he had and, and pulled off a tough one against um, Ludovic Klein. So he's got he's got some good stuff going on in that first round. It's just, historically speaking, when fights go past the first round, that's where you have to worry about Herbert Burns, you know, because his style requires a lot of energy. Any of y'all that have grappled, especially with Nogi, that shit's fucking tiring, man, you know? Especially when you're as submission reliant as a guy like Herbert Burns is, man. I mean, you go for that locked in dark choke attempt like you had against Nate Landwehr, and Nate somehow survives. Well, your arms are now gassed out. Nate started having some moments of success, but Nate ends up getting caught with that knee. That was nice. Herbert uh, bailed himself out with that. It's just, I see Herbert Burns winning this first round. I really do. I think he's going to take down Bill Algio. I think he might even pass the full mount. And if he takes the back of Algio, I know Algio is a black belt too, but like I said earlier, there's black belts and then there's black belts. I could possibly see um, Herbert Burns getting him out early. It's just that Bill Algio is one of these long and slippery and just like 
unorthodox guys who gets into these bad positions just so he can scramble out of them, and then you're so fatigued, and then he starts pointing you up, and he edges fights out. So that's the thing. But like a more physically imposing guy can definitely come out there and dominate a guy like Algio. Like I mentioned the takedown numbers. This guy gets taken down every single fight multiple times. So the reason I'm talking the way I'm talking is because Vegas was saying minus 120 Algio. Public is saying minus 200 Algio. Those are two completely different lines. So I low-key think this is a dogger pass situation. Uh, I am hesitant. Obviously, the recency bias of how Herbert looked that last fight was not good optics. Obviously, it looked it looked really bad as the fight got extended, you know? And you don't want to be in those spots against a cardio machine like Algio. No questions asked. It's just that, you know, Herbert's had plenty of time to address that. I mean, when you take over a year off, almost almost two years off. I mean, August is coming up. August is right around the corner. It's always been two years. When you take almost two years off from, from competition, but not two years off from the gym, that's where you can patch those holes. That's where you can improve on your mistakes. So I'm curious. To see, I, I expect Herbert to look a lot better than he did that last fight. So I guess based off the tape, I, I lean Herbert winning the first round, Algio winning the second and third, it being this close 29-28. But minus 200 is not the price of a lean. Minus 200 is not the price of, oh, he's just going to edge it out. Like minus 200 means that he's going to come out here and teach this guy a lesson. And I just simply don't see that being the case. So I definitely think Algio wins the third round. I definitely think Herbert wins the first round, possibly gets a finish. Who's going to win that second round? So I see this as a dogger pass situation. Let's see. I might, he might just fucking pull a Brazilian stunt, get completely gassed out, and it might not even matter. But um, going into it right now before the fact, I do see this as a dogger pass situation. Let's see. Let's see how it plays out. My boy Liam. What's up, buddy? He says, yo, like the show, 113 in the building, and only half of y'all dropped a like. Yeah, what's up with the other half, man? I know the show's called Half the Battle, but I don't need half the likes. I need all the likes, y'all. So do me that favor. Hit the subscribe button, too. Let's grow the channel. Just here to talk about our love for this sport, and that's the bottom line. So, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I know y'all been, I know y'all been waiting for this one. Next up. In the light heavyweight division, we got the people's main event between Dustin Jacoby, who's 17 and 5 and 1, taking on Daun Jung, who's 15, 2 and 1. And currently, here's where it gets interesting, y'all. They got it Daun Jung, minus 130. The comeback on Dustin Jacoby is plus 105. Why is that interesting? Because a week ago, it was plus 135, Daun Jung. Uh, my, uh, uh, minus what one? Hold on a second. Minus one sixty-five, Dustin Jacoby. This line has literally flipped, completely crazy. So let's talk about some things. Firstly, if y'all have not heard my interview with Daun Jung, I highly recommend you do. Um, the only long-form podcast in the United States he's ever done right here, Half the Battle. It's on this channel. So hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and y'all go check out that Daoon Jung ex exclusive interview. We had a fucking amazing interpreter slash translator, and he did a fantastic job. Um, really, like, he, he, he was very entertaining, and he did the, he did the thing. So y'all go check that out if you want to get to know more about Daoon Jung. Now, Daun Jung, one of the things I asked him, because 
one of the issues a lot of the Asian fighters have had is that they have they experience a lot of jet lag, right? Because I mean that flight takes everything out of you. And when you're coming on Tuesday of fight week and then you're fighting on Saturday, like, dude, like you fucking kidding me? Like that's he said he said, I need at least a full month to acclimate. And let me actually bring that up because in the Li Jing Liang fight, I didn't bring that up. Reason being is that Li Jing Liang has actually spent the last three to four months in the United States. So the jet lag is not going to be an issue with Li Jing Liang because I know in China, Li Jing Liang is unbeatable. And then there was always a thing, well, what happens when he fights outside of China? Well, in this in this fight, if Muslim Salika beats him, he's going to beat him fair and square because Li Jing Liang is fully acclimated to the States. He's been here for three or four months. Daun Zheng, on the other hand, now... Um, hey Rex, if you're in here, let me know how long uh, Daun's been in the States for. But I'm guessing no more than two weeks, no more than three weeks, maybe one week. You know, uh, I, so Daun might be dealing with that jet lag. Now, let me just say this: I am horrendous at calling Daun Jung fights. Like I laid the chalk on Daun Jung against Sam Alvey, thinking it was just going to be one of the easiest bets of the year, easy parlay leg. Like, was it minus three fifty, min- minus four something? I was like, dude. You're telling me that this stud prospect is not about to come out here and, and sleep Alvy easy? Nope. He wasn't going to sleep him easy. And uh, I do have kind of a hot take on that fight. I actually low-key still felt like Zhang, even on his worst day, beat Alvy. But I'm, I'm not going to get into that. The bottom line is it wasn't the performance I expected. And it, I also have my own theories on that fight, too. Like, it seemed to me like... Jung was kind of cocky out there. Like in those first two rounds, he's like smiling at him and doing all these things. Wasn't really throwing. Like felt like he had zero respect for him. And then when he actually let it go in that third round, almost finished him. It's like, why couldn't you have done that in, in the first or second round? So I'm thinking like, you know, man, this guy can't even come through for me against Alvy. Like let's, let, let's bet Kennedy. Let's bet Kennedy against them. Cause Kennedy, you just saw the fight prior with Kennedy. Um, that he had against Olberg, how durable Kennedy was, how he ate all those strikes. And goddamn, like Kennedy could eat a shot. And then Daun just goes out there and breaks his guard with that nasty elbow and just gets him out of there right away. I'm like, God damn, man. Like, I just can't call a Daun junk fight to save my life, but I can break down his style. The guy's very long for the weight class. I mean, he's six foot four. Very heavy hands. That la- that left hook is nasty. And, I mean, he's one of these guys that will kind of mimic you in a way. Like, if you start trying to take him down, he's going to he's gonna try to take you down. If you start trying to kick against him, he's going to start trying to kick you. I-, I feel like the dude, because there's the language barrier, so we don't really know. Like, sometimes it's hard to understand. Like, you know, there's a language barrier. But I think he's an ultimate competitor, man. I think that he sometimes likes to one-up people and beat them at their own game and this and that. And I know he got a lot of shit for the Cadiz fight, but you got to understand about the Cadiz fight was that Cadiz at the time was 8-0, and uh, full of confidence. He was this undefeated Russian prospect. Now, that fight took away all his confidence. It's kind of like the example of like the neutered dog. You know, the dog is super aggressive and this and that. And you're having all these issues with your neighbors, with other dogs, this and that. And then you get the dog neutered and all of a sudden they're docile. And all of a sudden all those aggressiveness issues go away. That's kind of how I viewed uh, Cadiz. Like coming into the UFC, 8-0, like can't be touched, can't be beat. Like this guy's brimming with confidence. So I thought he just went right after Dao and Zhang, tried to get him out of there. And when someone finally stepped up to the bully, 
uh, you know, he never recovered. His confidence never came back. So I feel like Daun was kind of like the catalyst in that. So I, so I tried to do the whole thing where, oh, I'm holding it against him that he lost rounds to Sam Alvey. I'm holding it against him that he lost rounds to Kadi Sibragimov. So let's bet Kennedy. Let's bet Kennedy. Kennedy's going to win down the stretch. Kennedy gets fucking stopped right away. So, like, yeah, I'm terrible at picking Dawoon Jung fights. And then with Dustin Jacoby, for him to transition to kickboxing from kickboxing to MMA the way he has is ultra impressive, especially when you consider the fact that this guy had a UFC stint back in the day. And I was actually at his fight with, uh, let me look at who it was against. It was against Clifford Starks. Back at UFC 137, BJ Penn versus Nick Diaz. I was, I was at that card. And, like, that Dustin Jacoby had no business in the UFC. But the dude goes back, goes to another sport, does amazing there. Actually beat my, my good friend Wayne Barrett twice. Shout out to Wayne if you're watching this. Uh, I'll see you at the gym tomorrow. But, you know, he beat my friend Wayne Barrett twice, which, like, at the time, Wayne had a lot of hype. And when dudes were beating Wayne, they'd be, like, these hard-fought decisions. But, like, Dustin went out there and stopped him. So he's been in there. The reason I bring that fight up, not because Wayne Barrett's my friend, but more so because Wayne Barrett is kind of like a longer striker. Uh, Dustin Jacoby's got experience against these longer strikers. Now, MMA, kickboxing, two different sports. The gloves in, in, uh, in kickboxing are those big, you know, quote-unquote pillow gloves. Here he's got the four-ounce gloves. There's more openings for the chin. And Dustin's had some kind of rough starts in some of these fights. You know, whether it was the Iwan Kutalaba fight, the Mihal Olegzechuk fight, there's a rumor that he had that injury. That's why he couldn't kick that fight. So that's impressive, the fact that he couldn't throw any kicks that fight and he still beat him just off his heart, his grit, and his hands. Um, so I, li I like that. Uh, so it's like, I'm not sure what to think. Now, the William Knight versus uh, Dawun Jung fight, let's talk about that. So yeah, there's the stat that he hit eight takedowns in that fight, which, is yeah, you got to give him credit. That he definitely did that. He definitely whooped up on, on William Knight. No questions asked. But like, when you're just talking technique for technique, William Knight has some of the worst technique in UFC history. Now, before before y'all quote me on that, you got to quote me on this next part too. The reason William Knight's able to get away with so much stuff is because of the kind of athlete William Knight is. Like William Knight will just get into these terrible positions and just power right out of them. William Knight fights with his chin straight up in the air. Like technique wise, like William Knight's horrible actually but athleticism and power wise like william knight's actually like his power and athleticism makes up for so much and again that's not to discredit william knight's hard work but it's just y'all know what it is i mean the guy fights with his chin straight up in the air can't stuff a takedown but he can power out from bottom he can crack people because he hits hard as fuck the reason i'm bringing that up is because i don't think that Dawn john is going to hit eight takedowns on um on uh, Dustin Jacoby like he did on, on, on Willie Knight. I don't think that that trip takedown is going to be as readily available. I think that Jacoby's uh, technique is, is far better. So it's, it's one of those things. This is this is a tough one to call. I'm also curious about why that line flipped the way it did. Um, did someone just, was it as simple as someone had that kind of confidence in Daoon Jung to put that big bet on him? Or are the, is there some inside info that I don't have, that you don't have regarding an injury? I'm not going to start no rumors. I'm just curious. That's just an honest question. So I don't know. So since I'm wrong on every single Dawoon Jung fight, I'm going to pick Dustin Jacoby so that Dawoon Jung wins this fight. Because I know if I pick uh, Dawoon Jung, Dustin Jacoby is going to come out here and, you know, first round is going to be really tough. First round is always going to be really tough. But from there, I think Dustin Jacoby kind of finds his rhythm a little bit, starts chopping him down with some leg kicks and just kind of, 
out out volumes him and slightly outworks him to a 29 28 type decision so i'm gonna go jacoby for that reason but just so y'all know since i'm wrong on every single down jung fight since i'm picking jacoby that means that down jung is, is gonna win this fight so um yeah, I know Dawin Jung's team is watching this. Y'all, trust me, I'm doing the right thing here, picking Jacoby, because that ensures that Dawin Jung is going to win, y'all. So, yeah. Um, but listen, I think both these guys are studs. Um, I think that people have been unfairly harsh on both. Like, to me, like, when you go through the first round that Iwan, that um, that Dustin went through against Iwan Kutalaba, uh, and you overcome it and win the next two rounds. Like that's impressive. That shows me that you can overcome adversity because it's one thing when you're the when you're the hammer, but how do you react when you're the nail too? And you know, it's one thing that, like like Floyd Mayweather always said, it's one thing to give it, but can you take it too? And I know Dustin Jacoby can take it too, but guess what? Dawun Jung can take it too. That Kadi Sibragima fight was a proof he can take it too. But I think that. Uh, I just, I just think that Dustin Jacoby's cleaner, and I think down the stretch he can pull away. But I, I don't, I don't know when the last time I picked a Dawun Jung fight correctly was, you know. So, so I'm gonna go Dustin Jacoby. That means, that means Dawun Jung is winning this fight, and I can't wait to see it, man. Because with all the confidence everybody has on both sides, like I've seen people plant their flags on both sides, like, like talking shit to other people. Which to me, I'm like, why, why talk shit? Like if you're confident that you're gonna win, just go out there and win and then that's it you don't have to put someone else down just because they disagree with you like it's okay to disagree with people you can like me and my boy clint disagree all the time and you've never seen us once be disrespectful towards each other like we can have a nice discussion walk out both of us with a smile on our face and be on the opposite side it's not a big deal like like i know not everybody here is in america but we're in a free country and I say a free country. I know there's some fucked up shit that's been going on, but that's a different that's a different point. I'm not going to get carried away here. But the bottom line is what I'm trying to say is like you can disagree with someone and still be respectful. So you all don't need to put anybody down just because they're on the opposite side as you. Honestly, like just find out how it's going to be. Like the only opinion that you should value is your own. Like I get, oh, I have this show and this and that. Clint's got his show. These other guys got their shows. So apparently our opinions matter more. And that's complete bullshit. Like I just try to share my thoughts. You know, um, I feel like I'm in the game and this and that, whatever, and take my thoughts for what they're worth. But form your own opinion at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be right all the time. And I'm wrong a lot of the time, you know, so. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to form your own opinion. And if you disagree with someone, you don't you don't need to fucking call them names. You don't need to be mean to them. Just, you know, have have confidence in your own pick, have confidence in your own read, because at the end of the day, they're not making the bets for you. At the end of the day, they're not paying your bills like these other guys that are betting their own bets. Like it's their money. This is your money. So you do what you want with your money, but like you don't need to you don't need to talk down on anybody just because they're on the opposite side of you, like straight up. So that's why me and Clint are able to like literally like vehemently disagree on shit, but walk out with a smile on our faces, like and 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 has zero impact on our friendship, like at all. At all, like like at all. Like we can literally I don't I don't remember the last fight we disagreed on. I know we, I know we've been on a couple opposite sides recently i don't even remember what they are because i'm so focused on one event at a time but we can literally be on the opposite side have a full debate and then go drink a beer together like so y'all need to be nicer to each other so y'all be 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 kinder to each other is the message we're getting here 
is the message I'm getting to here. Uh, trust your own gut. I mean, if you want to listen to me, you find me entertaining. Maybe I give some uh, information that you won't hear uh, anywhere else or this or that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. But at the end of the day, form your own opinion and trust your own read because I'm not the one spending your money. You're the one spending your money. Yeah, my boy, locker room, like, you know, Clint drinks Fireball. You wouldn't catch me dead drinking no Fireball, but I'll buy my boy Clint a shot of Fireball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> love you, Clint. Um, but, yeah, trust your own reads and be kinder to each other, guys, because you're the only one at the end of the day that's making the bet, not them. So that's it. And then and then when you lose a bet, don't fucking go to someone and be like, oh, you told me to bet this guy. It's like, um, I know I told you what I was betting. I, I didn't tell you how to spend your money. So you do you and I'm going to do me. And I appreciate y'all being here with me. So y'all smash that like button. Y'all hit that subscribe button. I truly appreciate it. Two more fights and let's get right down to them. So next up in the middleweight division, we got Dwight Grant. He's 11 and five, taking on Dustin Stoltzfus, who's 13 and four. Currently, they got it. Well, let's talk about the uh, JSJ23 said you a scotch guy. Yeah, I'll drink some scotch. I like uh, whiskey ginger is usually my go to, but, you know, I like shots of Patron, too. Uh, it just depends on my mood. Depends who I'm out with. Um, if I'm uh, by myself then I'll, I'll have some drinks that I'm not going to even tell my friends about. But if I'm out with a girl, then, you know, <laughs> then I'm going to drink the whiskey gingers and this and that and take shots of Patron. But y'all, uh, he said, it's okay. I bet Lawrence too. Yo. Okay. It's, you got all the right in the world to bring up the Lawrence bet. No doubt about it. But how come everyone only brings up the Lawrence bet, which was, you know, not, not the biggest bet in the world. But no one says a fucking thing about Fazeev, who I risked five units on, who was like one of my biggest bets of the year. How come no one's like, damn, the big bet won. Oh, the the not so big bet didn't win. Whatever. We move on. And someone else was like, you got to stop talking about these relentless wrestlers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, just because Ronnie didn't win doesn't mean that the relentless wrestling talk is bullshit because how did Ronnie lose? He lost via relentless wrestling. Like that dude, Saeed Yacoub, confirmed everything that I've been saying this whole time which was that uh, these guys that can attempt takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged are going to be massive uh, matchup problems. And that's exactly what Saeed Yacoub did. So he literally did what I thought Ronnie was going to do to him. So that style, once again, is uh, proves that it's going to win long term. So I just I just had the wrong guy. But well, where, where's the physique love? I don't need no love. I had my money down. It is what it is. Now... Dwight Grant versus Dustin Stoltzfus. So um, people are saying Ronnie had uh, a staph infection. Dude, I've seen people win with staph infection. So, again, you'll never see me making excuses. Whenever I lose a bet, I always give credit to the other guy, and, and I move on. Like, that's it. Like, you're not going to see me take away the win from the other guy. Like, I've seen people win with fucking pulled groins. I've seen guys win with staff. I've seen guys win with this, whatever the case is. So, no excuses. All the credit to Saeed Yacoub, and we move on. That's the bottom line. But anyways, Dustin versus Dwight. So Dwight Grant, when he first came into the UFC, I had some hopes for him because the guy is a very, very heavy hitter. And when he knocks people out, when he gets you, he gets you. They call him the body snatcher for a reason. You go and you watch that fight he had against um, Jordan Williams on the regional scene. Boy, did he star Jordan Williams. And even that uh, Tyler Hill fight on Contender Series and then that Carlo Pedersoli fight in the UFC. Great knockouts. It's just that 
with Dwight Grant, the output is so damn low, and that and that's the area of concern. Not to mention my boy's getting up there in age. You know, he was born in 1984. Um, that means that off the top of my head, I got to do some math. That he will turn 38 in September. You know, and and if this was heavyweight, okay, no big deal. But and and if he was a fresh 38, no big deal either. It's just that you know my boy's out here. He's been. He's been dropped in five of his last four fights. He's been getting taken down. Um, he's been taken down five times in his last three fights. Like so, I feel like he's trending downward. And with Stoltzfus, I know that he had the unfortunate zero and three start to his UFC career, but I feel like that was more of a stylistic matchup thing. Like he literally fought three guys that have similar matchups. Um, we're talking or they're similar um, styles. Kyle Dawkins, Rodolfo Vieira, Gerald Mearshart, all black belts looking to do the same thing. And he was just kind of outgunned in those matchups, whereas Dwight Grant is not a black belt. Dwight Grant's not going to be trying to take down Dustin Solsfus. Dwight Grant is going to circle around the cage, telegraph a big overhand right, and eventually follow up with a big left hook. And if Dwight Grant can catch Dustin Stoltzfus, well, then he deserves to win the fight. But besides that, I think that Dustin Stoltzfus is actually better across the board. Um Again, these three fights that he's lost are like polar opposite matchups than uh, than Dwight Grant. Like these, like does Rodolfo Vieira fight anything like Dwight Grant? No. Does Gerald Mearshart fight anything like Dwight Grant? No. Does Kyle Dawkins fight anything like Dwight Grant? No. So, to me, that doesn't mean anything. To me, the way Dustin would lose this fight is if he comes out here and stands and bangs with Dwight Grant. Not saying he can't win that fight, but that's where he would lose that fight, getting caught by a heavy hitter like Grant. But that doesn't happen. I think Dustin actually is live for an upset here. So I'm going to actually pick Dustin. And someone said this is a 1-800-GAMBLER fight. Maybe if you lay chalk on, on Grant, but I actually think this is a sneaky underdog spot for uh, Dustin Stoltzfus. People are down on him. His back's up against the wall. He's got to come out here and win. He's been uh, outside his comfort zone here in the States doing his thing. I, I think Stoltzfus comes out here, lands some takedowns, possibly gets a submission. So I'm going to go Dustin Stoltzfus uh, for the upset, and I'm actually considering uh, betting him at the underdog price. Now, last but not least, in the strawweight division, we got Jessica Panay. She's 14 and 5, taking on Emily Ducote, who was 11 and 6. Currently, they got it. Emily Ducote, minus 150. The comeback on Jessica Panay is plus 130. Uh, props to you, Bob, for bringing up that Grant's moving up in weight. And to me, that's just like, yeah, you know, he's getting old. He can't cut the weight anymore. But I don't, I don't really think he's going to look like this brand new, oh, the new Dwight Grant, this Grant, Dwight Grant 2.0 a middleweight. He's going to make a title run now. Like, I, I, I don't see it being like that, man. I just see this as a, I see this being his last fight in the UFC. You hate to see someone lose their job. So maybe if he loses, maybe they can give him another opportunity. Maybe the fight's exciting. He gets another chance. But yeah, I see loser of this fight's going home. That's just you know, the brutal reality of the sport. But I see I see Stoltzfus getting his first UFC win. Now, last but not least, like I said, Ducote versus Panay. So, Ducote, not your average UFC debutante in terms of, like, she's not just some random-ass prospect. Like, she's actually, like, pretty experienced. She's been in there with some decent competition, you know. Um, she's, hold on one second. Yeah, she's fought for the Bellator title against Lee Malay McFarlane. Um, she had that brutal-ass knockout against Danielle Taylor. And she's definitely paid her dues, beat some UFC vets, Juliana Lima. So, like, definitely paid her dues. It's just a, more of a thing where it's like, 
and th- this is kind of veteran versus veteran. I know people are, are kind of propping it up like prospect versus veteran and this and that. Um, just because Ducote is making her debut and she's like 10 years younger and this and that. But it's been a long time coming. She's definitely paid her dues to, to get to this spot. As far as how they match up, I mean, I think we know what to expect from Jessica Panay. Jessica Panay is dangerous when she's able to take your back. De- Jessica Panay can pull off opportunistic submissions. And Jessica Panay, ever since that big layoff she had, like, so her last fight was in 2017, then she comes back not until 2021, beats Lupita Godinez. Now, I know a lot of people think Lupi won that fight, but the fact that it was even in question, I think speaks volumes, especially when you consider how Lupi's been looking. And then submits Carolina in the first round. I know Carolina's seen better days, but uh, Felice Eric didn't submit her in the first round. Let's just put it that way. So, hey, she's come back looking decent, looking not bad. So I think it'll be a good test for Ducote. I could see a case for this being a dog or pass situation. You know, probably a close fight. I'll, I'll lean Ducote, you know, edge it out, split, unanimous, whatever, close fight, whatever. But I see uh, Ducote kind of landing the better strikes, maybe getting more top control. But if she does have top control, she's got to be careful. The arm bars, the sweeps, this and that from Jessica Panay. So, you know, all, all that stuff. But I'm, I'm going to go with Ducote. It's been a long time coming for her to make her UFC debut. So let's see uh, what she does. I'm going to say a very close decision here. All right, y'all. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So. The fight to watch, I mean, besides the main event, besides Shane Burgos versus Charles Jordan, is uh, definitely Dustin Jacoby versus Dawin Jung. I mean, when you see a full line flip, I, it already has my attention. Like, I, I want, I, I'm, putting, I'm putting my glasses on. I got to see exactly what's going to happen in this Dawin Jung versus Dustin Jacoby fight. Not to mention both guys, uh, I want to say they're both undefeated in the UFC, but that's actually factually incorrect because Dustin Jacoby had that first stint you know 10 years ago but if we don't count that first stint 10 years ago then they're both undefeated in the ufc and both guys have had some impressive wins both guys have overcome adversity and both guys are looking to you know one day crack the top 10 and this is a perfect fight for either guy to do that one guy gets a big win here and you know his next fight's gonna be uh it's gonna be a notable name it's gonna be like a a Krylov or, or or something like that. You never know. A Paul Craig, an Ozdemir, like you never know. Like one of these guys is going to get a big fight after this. You know, assuming that they make a statement here, and I think someone will make a statement. And not to mention the line flip, plus me being wrong on every single Daoun fight. Like that just, I'm so intrigued by this. And I think both guys are dangerous. Both guys are hungry. Both guys want to make a statement. And I think someone will make a statement. So for that reason, Daun Jung versus Dustin Jacoby is my fight to watch. Now, my fighter to watch is Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, man. I mean, we're dealing with a guy in Yair who came into the UFC in 2014 after he won the first ever uh, Ultimate Fighter Latina America season. You know, the same season that Marlon Chito Vera was on, the same season that Alejandro Perez was on, and a bunch of guys, Teco, you know, all these guys. Um, and I've always thought that Yair had ridiculous talent. I've always thought that he could do things that other guys simply can't do. And he's been so close. And, and now he's truly at the top. He's number three in the world. And a win here over Brian Ortega is going to cement him either a title shot or a number one contender fight with Josh Emmett. And his opponent, Brian Ortega, is no walk in the park. I've seen Brian Ortega get shit kicked and then finish people multiple times. I've seen Brian Ortega take whoopings and just come back from the dead. And I've seen Brian Ortega dangle off people's necks, knock people out with punches, with knees. 
Brian Ortega is a serious test. And, and, and in five rounds, in 25 minutes, you can be winning the whole fight. One mistake is all it takes against a guy like Ortega. And like I said at the beginning of the show, Yair needs to be basic in this fight. You know, the reason that he fell to his back three times in that Max Holloway fight in the first round was because he was throwing all those flying kicks. It was striker versus striker. Well, this is not technically on paper striker versus striker, even though Ortega has, you know, put a, a couple people out with, with strikes. This is a fight where avoid the avoid the ground like lava, like whoever said, right? So um, I'm curious to see if Yair dials it in for this one, keeps it simple, keeps it to the basics, and comes out here and can outland him throughout the course of the fight. So for that reason, Yair is my fighter to watch. And a win here and a title shot with Mexico behind him, Yair versus Volk is a big fight. Like I know a lot. I know Volk is going to be a big favorite and, and all that stuff if that fight comes to fruition. But it's a big fight. When you got a country behind you, like both guys do, it's a big fight. So I'd be down to see it. So Yair is my fighter to watch for that reason. So y'all, thank you so much for being here on this very special UFC Long Island edition of Half the Battle. I truly, truly appreciate it. Little announcement next week, new new start time for the show. So right now we've been doing every Thursday at 3 p.m. We're moving it back a day to Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So from now on, the breakdowns are Tuesday. Uh, excuse me. From now on, the breakdowns are Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time because I'm starting real estate school. I'll be at school Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So Wednesday is like my my free day. So I'll be doing the breakdowns then. Try to get some dance Tuesday night contender when I can. But no matter what, the breakdowns are staying here. So y'all know the deal. Everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. Truly appreciate y'all being here. Leave me some comments after this video is up um share retweet all those little things y'all do help me so much and it's truly truly appreciated so thank you guys again and until the next time let's cash these bets